0: Less than 2000. The podcast. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Thanks for listening to us this year. We really appreciate it. This is the last episode of 2020. Thank God this awful year is almost over. Chad, the only thing good about this year really was the fact that we did this podcast. And I mean, thank God we did. Uh, you know, we always talked about doing this, but thank God we
1: did when we did because honestly, people are stuck at home. And the 80s and the 90s were so amazing. Why wouldn't you want to go back to a time when you weren't trapped in your house during a pandemic with all of the crap going on?
0: This is the right time to do this because people needed a little a little dash of memory lane. Speaking of memory lane, thanks for setting that up so nicely. We didn't talk about doing this, but I just thought we would Maybe give the audience a little bit of background on the history of the show. This being the last episode of 2020, uh, let's go back and talk about just a little bit of the origins of the show. Now, you've probably picked up, everybody, that Chad and I have been friends for a very, very long time. We moved in across from each other when I was six and he was seven. So we, we, we really became friends when Chad's dad got a video camera. And then we started making home movies together. That's when, in, in 1990 or 91, is when our friendship really started to form. I believe sure. it's ni- uh, ni- summer of 91 is when we shot our first big thing. July together. 4th, yes, July 4th, ninety, ninety one. So at that time, we were just we were both ten years old, and and that and that was that bonded our friendship forever. We made multiple Terminator movies together. We we made so many movies and um and did creative things. We had a radio show as far back as we fifth had and our sixth own grade. Radio
1: show, yes, yes. I mean, we we were born to do this. I mean, we,
0: let's let's just say we were we were
1: practicing radio by the time we were ten. Think and I about was, that,
0: yeah. And and I always dreamed of being like sort of uh, Wayne's world, uh, Wayne and Garth sort of situation. You know how they started out on cable access as best friends, just recording from their basement. And then they became a big deal and had their own national show and all that stuff. Uh, Was it just because the movie Wayne's world was so awesome uh, because it came out when
1: we were young. And so we really, really liked it because looking back on, on the Wayne's world sketches and on the movie, they were like in their basement doing crap. I, I yeah. mean, it was not
0: really that good. I mean, it's like, that's like aspiring to a lower common denominator. You realize that making a podcast is the equivalent of cable access. In oh no! Yeah, no, no, we're, we're we're doing it. I was talking <laughs> crap on it, like
1: like as if we are not in our houses. Yeah, basically doing the same thing. Yeah. over Zoom with a with a microphone in front of us.
0: And we started in your basement, literally um, in your basement studio. So like we were we we would still be doing it in the basement, but for COVID, you know, we grew up together making films and radio shows for ourselves. Then we went our separate ways. I went off to college and I studied film. Chad got into the industry and, 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 and started menial tasks. And now he's up to you know director, producer guy. And, and so, so we, we, our paths diverged for a long period of time. I went off to study film. He went off to actually do it. This all started back in January of 2020. I was, in, I was in the Victoria Inn in Columbus, Nebraska. You were driving around in LA and you- call, I was in an Uber. I was in an Uber. And you called me up and, and, and talked about making an adaptation of Less Than Zero onto film. Yeah, I called you up and I
1: said, do you think the world is ready for a reboot of Less Than Zero? Uh,
0: it, to it, which you it, shot it down
1: immediately.
0: I did. I, I thought. I thought it would be really unrelatable, especially in in the climate we're currently in. Like nobody wants to see a, a movie about entitled white people sniffing their lives away uh, and 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 ruining the the great uh, advantages they have in their life. I'm like that. It's just not going to sell in 2020. But. A couple days go by and we talk about, hey, let's do a show about 80s and 90s. Just cool stuff mm-hmm. about 80s and 90s. So so we're talking about doing it just a, a, for shits and giggles, uh, 80s, 90s uh, retrospective. And we thought, what would be the name of that show? And we talked about it and talked about it. And having just had the conversation about less than zero, somebody threw out there less than 2,000. Well, yeah, because we were kind of sitting around talking
1: about how the world went to hell around the year two thousand, and mm-hmm. how everything really post two thousand, especially you—you know—you can't stand any pop culture past then. I try to—I stay dabbling in it. You're—you're you're like, it's like a, a, its like repulsive to you. Some
0: of that's a little but, played up for the show, but
1: yeah. Uh, but no. So it all of a sudden it was like, well, how about less than two thousand? I, I mean, if if everything sucks past you know 2000 2001 that'd be the great title and and it's a, what it a, what a tribute to Brett Easton Ellis that really ties into our topic today you know less than less than zero because if anybody's read the book let's you know again let's talk about the book the movie was pure garbage and I'm not going to hide that this episode at all we can celebrate maybe some things that are good but but when it comes to the book the book sets you up for 160 150 160 pages of the 208 of this whole personality of who clay is and then just completely rolls you over as a reader and just gut punches you for like 30 pages and then it's the end
0: absolutely so, so that so you liked the last 30 <laughs> well, I remember when we were trying to both reread this, this week and, and be ready to record today, I, I know I knew you were a little bit behind and, and I said, you know, you can basically kind of skim, just don't skip it, but you can skim the first hundred of pages or so. You do yourself a disservice if you skip ahead. It's deliberately, it's deliberately written that way. Yes. That's part of the masterful, mastery of the prose of the writing of Brett Easton Ellis is that it kind of, go ahead. You can pick up Yeah, I mean, if you would have,
1: if you would have come in with any of that dark stuff before you got all the way to, you know, to the last 30 pages, it wouldn't have worked. It would have been, it would have hit you. Out of nowhere, the whole point that Brett Easton Ellis did was he lets you become numb to the world. The, the, the locations, the people, the dress, I mean, the names that come flying at you, and every scene is circling, and it's random, and it's, and it's full of just lethargic apathy, and, and really just just mundane crap, and you get lost in that world. So by the time real decisions have to be made, you're just numb to everything. That is the life in California. Yes, and that
0: and 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 so if you are to skim those pages, you don't get the gut punch. That is the last 30, 40 pages or so. It yeah. does it's like almost a hypnotic way of writing because it's one party to the next, one club to the next, one uh, uh restaurant, fancy restaurant. It, one thing to the next the same people over and over and over again repetition but that is part of the reason this story is so effective it does kind of lull you it does kind of make you think where where's the meat of this nothing's really happening what is the point there really is no antagonist there really is no plot actually if you think about it there isn't it's just things happening and and the reason we remember this book so much, I think, is because of the last, you know, third of it. But without the previous two thirds doing its job, you don't, the, the end does not have the same effect. No, yeah, you know, it would
1: be cheapening the effect. And I, I think, and that's why I'm glad I actually, I know I made the, the, the comment about, you know, you telling me about the first hundred on page ninety-four. I, I I'm glad I didn't skip it because I haven't I hadn't read this book since what 2002 2003 I yeah. mean it, you know I had forgotten a lot of it and and it was such a great treat now the only thing that the only thing is since I had read it before I kept going I feel like I should be getting to this dark spot really soon where's the dark spot where's where's it at where's it at and I kept reading and reading and reading I knew it was coming I knew it was going to be there. But I, by page 70, 80, I kept going, God, I feel like this is going to be coming up soon. And it didn't, which took me deeper and deeper and deeper into that mundane nothingness of disappearing here mm-hmm. of this book. And so it, it actually had the same effect because now that I'm a little older, you know, in 22, I mean, you know, we grew up with reservoir dogs and stuff where you're getting ears cut off and gasoline doused on them and... and So reading this at 22 had less of an effect. Reading it now, I was sick to my stomach and almost had to put it down for a minute.
0: Right. I mean, it was disturbing AF, but I'm glad I went back through it. It's interesting. As I was reading it, I was hating it. As I was rereading it, I was hating it because nothing happens. And, And I am thinking to myself, God, you know, Brett might be overrated. Like what? This was so... It was very big in 1985 when it came out because it was different. It was the shocking moments in this book. Wasn't something that most people wrote about at the time. So it was particularly shocking. I'm sure if you were reading it in the eighties, but going through it this time and because I've changed so much in the last 18 years and because the world has changed so much, particularly in the last five years or so, I had no time and no interest in these characters or this world. And I was I was actively disliking the book. And then when it got to the crazy sh- I was pissed off. I was like, you know what, F- Brett Easton Ellis. You know what, F- Clay, screw all these characters. I, I cannot relate. And that was like the most horrific stuff that I, I like screw Brett for even thinking about this a uh, horrible scene, let alone committing it to a page. Well, and, and well, which, which scene there's like four, four, five of them right in a row. Bam, 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 yeah. bam, bam. Yeah. I, I, I guess I'm talking about the, the first one that really, that really had impact on me, but it wasn't until I got done with the book and let it digest that I realized how powerful it is and that Brett Easton Ellis is actually a genius for going there it's not supposed to make you happy it's supposed to make you uncomfortable it's supposed to make you upset it's and and what what the the thing about it, what upsets me is because like you've heard so much this season I like happy stuff I like to get away from dark stuff in my free time I don't want to be in this dark place all the time I like kittens and puppies and bunnies and rainbows I like that happy stuff and, and I want I want the darkness to be overcome somehow. And and this book totally doesn't do that. It doesn't even try. That's not the point. There is no hero to this book. None whatsoever. The main character is a piece of shit. He's got a little bit of a conscience, but not enough to make him do anything about the horrific things about him. And, well, and, and nothing gets, quote, solved. It's just, here's the 80s. Here's LA in the 80s.
1: And it sucks. Yes. I think that was the thing that, that made me so angry Angry. This was the first time I read a book and then saw the movie. And I was angry after I saw the movie because it was not the book. Clay had like passion and was like fiery about Julian and and the Blair relationship and like all this kind of stuff. I, I recently read a line where... Uh, 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 the director of the movie or, or somebody who was working on the movie actually said, they're quite certain that that one line from the book ended up in the That's movie right. Less Than 2,000. That's less right. Th- See, I just said it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I called it Less Than 2,000. Yep. Less Than Zero. And, and I think that was the first time where I went, wow, this is how movies screw up good art. But I don't know how you would have done, I mean, it'd be easier to do now because everything is just so anti-hero based and all that kind of stuff that we're about that it'd be easier to make this movie now than it would have been in 85 because studios were like, what do we buy? We bought what? What's happening? No way. <laughs> like, it can't be this way. And, and I hated the movie for that. Mm-hmm. And I remember just going, the whole point of this book is doing nothing can be just as detrimental to your life and to others. Think about that. He never chooses to say, hey, don't do that. Hey, this isn't right. Any of that kind of stuff. Call the police. Call the police. He just lets all of this completely up happen because he's just numb to everything. But that's what you have when you're doing coke every day, mm-hmm. when you don't have to worry about money, mm-hmm. when you have everything handed to you and you're living and going to parties in Beverly Hills and, and, and living in that lifestyle. And, and that's, that's not even L.A. today. <laughs> like L.A. today is totally different than it was back in the 80s.
0: We we both love Brett Easton Ellis, and, and I remember he was special, I think, for you, if I'm not overstating this, by really, he was the writer that really got you into reading, I mm-hmm. think, uh, on, yeah, on absolutely. a hardcore level. Oh, you loved- I mean, I,
1: I re- yeah, I mean, I read a bunch growing up, but it was always like, you know, the standard stuff, you know, I would read Michael Crichton, or just the, 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 the big stuff. He was the first artist, like, wow, you mean... You can you can write stuff that's not a f-ing movie that actually has f-ed up in it that opens your mind into like I don't I probably never put anything up my nose because of Brett Easton Ellis you know <laughs> like
0: but that and I was always afraid I was going to have a heart attack Brett Easton Ellis started writing this when he was in high school the mm-hmm. the first draft took him eight weeks but he actually worked on the on the book for over two years but it was published when he was twenty one and in college. Yep. Imagine that. That's, an, I mean, that, that just, that rarely, that never happens. I never. mean, that, that's not a rare thing. That never happens. He, he, the name of the book came from an Elvis Costello song. I didn't ever know that until I researched it for the show. So, so you, our show is actually based off Elvis, Elvis Costello. He formed, he was part of what was called the, the literary brat pack. And you mentioned, you know, his writing style of short sentence, short sentence, short sentence, long rambling it's very naturalistic very widely known as a minimalist writer mm-hmm. I, I i gotta say i've always thought this because this this uh this review from the washington post on was on the original back of the book of the of the version i read when i was about 21 or 22 brett easton ellis is an extremely traditional and very serious american novelist he counts among his parents ernest hemingway and f scott fitzgerald now Chad, you know I'm pretty well-read, right? I mean, I, I, I've, sure. I've read a lot of literature. I've read the classics. I have certainly read yeah. S- Scott Fitzgerald and, and basically Hemingway, everything Hemingway has ever done. I, I disagree with the assessment that he's a, quote, extremely traditional and serious novelist. Th- serious, maybe, but traditional? Absolutely not. He throws traditional and conventions
1: out the window yeah, there was nothing traditional about this. I mean, it
0: was not okay to do run on sentences and books and paragraphs. Even though that's how we think and paragraphs that are like a fifth of a page and yeah. it, or, or or I mean a chapter that's like one paragraph and a fifth of the page and, and yeah. just one thing to the next. so so I never really understood or agreed with that quote. I will say he is a masterful writer, even he he makes the easy stuff. he He does write in such a way that it says,' well, I could do that.' It's just guy, some some guy talking about. Oh, I did coke this. I did that. But again, it's beyond the actual structure of a sentence or a paragraph in Brett's uh, world. Totally, he is setting you up beat by beat for the amazing impact that he delivers at the end.
1: Absolutely, a hundred percent. And that's the thing. There's so many people that 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 you write would read this book and then go, okay, I I could do that. The problem is they're writing their stuff's very surface the reason why this works is because he is yes i'm going to say ninja in your brain there i you mean go. he's just he's just like reeling you in for 150 160 pages and then bam i mean
0: lays the cards out and less than zero is awful you know you and i have talked about how horrific and disturbing a handful of scenes are and and they are they're horrible i'll tell you what on friday i was so deeply disturbed by the first horrific there's a snuff film uh described in towards the end of the book and it's so detailed and disturbing that i and then i read an article about uh just the most horrific true story of somebody that was put to death and what crimes they committed. I was so disturbed on Friday morning that I literally had to stop and call someone over lunch. Cause I'm like, I cannot focus. And I know Brett Easton Ellis, like, uh, you know, that, that wasn't real, but the thing is it is real. He's describing stuff that really happens and mm-hmm. the whole world looks the other way. We are all like clay, 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 he sits there and watches these things, as you said, but doesn't do anything about them. Sometimes he's indifferent. Sometimes he's just like indifferent or apathetic and doesn't care. But more often than not, he does feel bad. He, he knows it's wrong, but he doesn't do anything about it. There's times when he's like, I'm going to throw up. There's times like he even expresses, dude, I don't know. I think that's kind of wrong what you're doing there one time i think in the whole book one one time in the whole book but but he you, but you know from his internal thoughts that he doesn't agree with these things but he doesn't do anything about it he has got no uh, chutzpah to stand up to his friends uh if you can even call friends he hates these people you know but
1: I, and i think you just nailed something that i think is so important and and this is often times where art gets misunderstood people reading this and 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 you know, you know, groups were like, oh, that's just shocking. And it was for shock value. And it's not real. It's bulls**t. Think about all the things in your life that you had a moment Mm -hmm. when you could have helped somebody out, seen something going down that maybe wasn't good. Somebody doing something to a homeless person, people saying rude things to people. I I mean, I don't want to go as dark as what Brett Easton Ellis is doing, but just think about your daily life. How many times you've had a a choice, a chance to make something better and you don't do it. And this book, like you just said, we are all like clay. Mm -hmm. There are so many things we turn a blind eye to. Some of it is shockingly horrific, you know, that you know this stuff's going on. You know human trafficking is going on. You know these things exist. But very few people do anything about it, you know you're not part of it you're not you're not you're not doing it you're not a part of it, so you claim to not be a part of the problem
0: but, and yeah, th- that's what he says absolutely i I was excited to talk about this like I've got like basically a book report uh, that, that I could do i have I have highlights and notes in it and and stuff like that, but I just wanted to run through a, a couple of the major themes uh, to this book first of all. Y- I, I the brilliant first line of the book, people are afraid to merge on the freeways in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. That line is repeated later in the chapter, and has become a a, a darling line in, in people uh, who are fans of this book. What the, the deeper meaning of that? People are afraid to merge. People are afraid to come together. Mm-hmm. To 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 connect. That that line isn't really about freeways. That line is about people are afraid to connect in Los Angeles and all over the world. Then there's the recurring bit about disappear here. And I kind of think feel, feel that disappear here. There's a billboard that he keeps seeing and thinking about. It says disappear yep. here. I always kind of thought, I think my earlier conception of that was like, get away was like disappear from here. Basically like go, go back home, you know, get out of LA. But now I think it's more like a, in LA you disappear, you become a Mm -hmm. non-entity. You're, you're, you're a nothing. I think that's more accurate. We've gone at length about, I mean, the main theme I think is apathy and nihilism. Like people just don't care about anything. They'll talk Mm -hmm. about an abortion. They're at a party on new year's Eve. And and somebody's shooting up heroin in front of the whole party, and people are taking pictures of it, and it, and like cheering her on, basically.
1: Yeah, and later it's hanging up in the in the in her apartment. Yeah, I mean, like she's got the needle in the like of her friend
0: doing it. That's how like messed up they are. Clay's best friend becomes uh is a drug addict and has this huge drug debt that he has to pay off. So he ends up selling himself to pay this debt, and clay not only shows really no uh emotional effect he tries to give him money he tries to help him out of the jam but i mean he goes so far as to go to a hotel room and watch it happen and as he's watching his friend sell himself to pay off his drug debts he's thinking about this is my best friend and thinking about when they played soccer in fifth grade
1: yeah i mean it's so dark and what's crazy I think that's what really messed me up the most in this in this in this recent read of this. He doesn't go for the money. It's set up that he wants his his money back. Yeah. Clay, Clay, Clay lent him money, and, and Clay lent him money, and yeah. So yeah, so Clay lends him money, and he's trying to collect from Julian and all that kind of stuff. But in the end, he's not going to these dark places with his friend because of the money. He's. He's going because he wants to see how dark it can get. Absolutely. And he actually is thinking. And I think that terrifies himself as much as anything. Because it's like he knows he's going and it's not because he has to.
0: He's doing it because he wants to. Doesn't he even say in his head a couple times, I want to see the worst? Mm-hmm. And, and, and I mean, this isn't just some guy, this is his friend. I mean, later that night, they find a dead body of a teenager in the alleyway and they're just laughing at it, staring at it casually, putting a cigarette in its mouth, showing no sympathy for who it might be or, or the body or reporting it or anything. It's like, hey, isn't this cool, dude? Yeah, nothing, nothing. And, and, and do you think that's like, I don't want to get too far into the field of this question, but do you think it was worse in the 80s or do you think it's worse now in terms of people's sensitivity and sympathy and empathy, or lack thereof?
1: I think it was worse in the 80s.
0: And I think the reason why is
1: because even though technology can divide as much as it does bring together, it just seems to me that we're more aware of what's going on in the world. And, and I, I don't think it's possible to completely remove all feeling from that. We're a much more connected society today. We, the world seems a little bit more f***ed up today. Like things are, you know, you you see all this stuff, but it's because we're more connected. I think the more connected we are and the more world we we are,
0: I think the more aware we become. Good point. I don't know if that's true. Let me take the devil's advocate uh, position on that we're more connected now on a superficial level. The more we're connected by our technology, the more we are afraid to merge. Because I just think about going to the airport at the time I was reading this book. You would go to the airport, I would go to the airport, and hang out at the bar and talk to people. Literally the person next to me, or, or across the bar or whatever, just making r- random friends. Now you go to that same bar and you're both on your phones, you're both on your tablets, you're bo- you literally pay no attention to the person next to you. You pay no attention to the person sitting next to you on the plane, other than maybe saying, hi, you're not having a two hour conversation or whatever. So on, on, we are more connected, but I think on a superficial level, when something bad happens and somebody posts something about this horrific atrocity, yeah, you get lots of people chiming in and saying, oh, that's so bad. But it's just, that's it. I mean, it's just like a thumbs up or a thumbs down or a like or, 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 or just sharing a, oh, I'm sorry. But is that really, are we really any more sensitive now and more connected? I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. But see, I also think part of that also might
1: be us growing up. You know what I mean? Like, cause I, I had my Walkman and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it was my Discman that I would take on the airplanes. If I didn't want to talk, if I wanted to disappear... I didn't have to talk to the person next to me. And that hadn't changed since I started flying when I was young. Mm -hmm. I used to actually enjoy talking to people on planes and in the airport a lot more often. And now, just stay the F away from me, man. Like, I put the headphones on because I don't want to talk to them. But it's also because I have 10 times the amount of stuff in my brain that I'm dealing with now than I ever did when I was 18, when I was 22. I used to go chat every flight attendant up in the back. I don't know, I part of that might be where we're at. But the young people I've talked to seem to be way more in touch with their feelings. Part of it might be age, part of it might be where you're at in life. Part of it depends on what you've got going on in your life personally as well. So I don't know if we can make a total we blatant statement. Yeah, we can.
0: not About this, about that question, because I I think it's dependent on who you are. It's an interesting discussion. Uh, Feel free to chime in on social media. Let me let us know your thoughts on this subject, especially over the, you know, winter break we're we're taking. You can keep the conversation going. Okay, so this is about kind of loss of innocence the, and the, and the, in the, in the, there was a time in clay's life. You get the impression where it wasn't always this way. There's this ongoing story within the story of in italics where he's dreaming back about like this vacation he took with his family to Palm beach. And he was with his grandparents and he was Mm -hmm. in love with Blair. And and it was like, he's kind of, I mean, there was some weird stuff going on, but like he was a happy boy at one point. Yeah. And it was just simple stuff like hanging out with his grandma by the pool it, yeah. and, and basic, basic things like that. So it, it, to me, he's kind of the uh, Holden Caulfield of, of, of the 1980s, further the breakdown of the family unit that these parents don't parent at all. I mean, no, th- they're, they're, at, they're at dinner together. They're having Christmas together. They're not connecting whatsoever. They're all in their own little worlds. So th- this 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 apathy and materialism has been passed on from generation to generation. Their kids are like fashionable accessories. And the the second to last page, I, I, I highlighted this because it just seems to drive that point home. Parents are so hungry and unfulfilled that they ate their own children. I don't know, just...
1: This really says yeah. it all, doesn't it? That says it all. If you haven't read Less Than Zero, you got to read it. If you saw the movie and then you didn't read the book, you
0: definitely need to read the book. If you can stomach because, it, be prepared.
1: I mean, the last 30 pages you know, are going to be dark. But, but ultimately, there's, there's real importance in this book. And we've already stated it, but I can't state it enough. We look the other way so much in life. And if you just take a minute and and you think and you try to remind yourself to not do that, you're gonna impact other people's lives in positive ways rather than being completely self-absorbed and nihilistic
0: and selfish and narcissistic. Extremely well said. Thank you so much, everybody, for joining us for this season. We yes. really, really appreciate it. Thank
1: you, thank you, thank you for everyone that is listening to the show and engaging on social media and and just taking this ride with us like adam said earlier we do this because we want to do it because we want to celebrate uh the stuff that we love we want to poke at the things that don't hold up and and just have fun